Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. I haven't actually preached here in probably about a month and a half now. Mark was kind enough to give me a bit of a break over exams and um, having a newborn son, so that was delightful. Unfortunately, uh, yeah, the, uh, the break does not uh, continue. You must get back to work. Uh, but it is nice to come back on such a good message. Uh, I shared with my mentor earlier this week that I'd be preaching on Romans 10. And he said, gee, you really lucked out because Romans uh, 9 is quite difficult and Romans 11 is quite difficult. Uh, and Romans 10 is actually a bit of a walk in the park. So it's the first time Mark's given me one of those. It's delightful. So let's... Uh, Let's read the, message to, uh, the passage together and uh, then we'll pray. What then are we to say? Gentiles who did not strive for righteousness have obtained it. That is righteousness through faith. But Israel who did strive for righteousness, that is based on the law, didn't succeed in fulfilling that law. Why not? because they did not strive for it on the basis of faith, but as if it was based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, See, I am laying in Zion a stone that will make people stumble, a rock that will make them fall. But whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Paul is speaking here of Israel. I can testify that they have a zeal for God, but it is not enlightened. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they have not sub, uh, submitted to God's righteousness. For, for Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law, that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. But there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe on one in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim Him? And how are they to proclaim unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all have obeyed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? 
So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the Word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice, uh, their voice, pardon me, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. When Isaiah is bold, then Isaiah is bold to say, I have been found by those who didn't seek me. I, will, I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. Lord, even hearing in that passage that you are the one that brings hearing. It is by your hand that we come to not just have words spinning around our heads, but have them actually sink in, to have our ears opened, to have them sink, Lord, into our hearts and not stop at our minds. And so, Father, we pray this morning, Lord, that you would do likewise with us, that as we hear your word this morning, as we hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that it would sink deeply within us. For those of us who already know you, who delight in you, who hold the righteousness of God in our hands, Lord, that it would be an encouragement, that it would be a joy, that it would be a delight this morning to hear again the good news. And for those here who are this morning struggling as Israel does, Lord, that this would be a refreshing, an awakening, that you would open their ears to hear and to see the good news of Jesus Christ and confess with their lips. And Jesus, we pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, I will probably, I'm going to reveal more of myself than I ever have at this service. Many of you know uh, that I, or many of you don't know, that I actually have a great fondness uh, for fantasy books. I delight in reading about unlikely heroes going on murderously difficult quests. I enjoy a good story that's filled with love and hate and strength and weakness, watching the protagonist of the story grow and evolve as he treads the perilous path towards his goal. That is something I take joy in. But one of the keys to having a good fantasy story is that it must have a worthy goal at the end. What are they trying to achieve? What is it that they are after? What goal lies at the end of their quest? And it is so essential that this is a worthy goal. Why is it important? Because the goal must be of more value than all the suffering that the hero is going to go through in order to get it. It must be significant enough in the mind's eye of the hero that he will endure the blistering heats of deserts, the freezing cold of mountaintops, and the sodden itch of the mosquito-infested bogs. It must draw him like a magnet, on 
and on and on through all of the tribulations until they meet together. The goal's image, its value, the hope of achieving it is what gives the hero the strength to endure personal challenges and growth. Some examples. Frodo from Lord of the Rings. What was his goal? How did he endure such personal torments as carrying the one ring to Mount Doom? What drew him like a magnet through orcs and wraiths and wars and bogs and caves filled with giant spiders? What was it that was the goal at the end for Frodo? Does anyone know? I'm really hoping people connect to this message. (laughs) It was the Shire. It wasn't about just getting the ring to Mount Doom. It was about his people being safe and secure. That was what pushed him on, his friends and his family. Let's try again. (laughs) What was the goal in Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe? What drew those kids from merry old England to a medieval war with speaking animals? To save Narnia. Yes, thank you, Arvin. It was the evil queen, the never-ending winter that possessed the land to save Narnia. What we must realise this morning, and hopefully you realise this morning, is that Romans 10, we are reading about two different quests, the Gentiles and Israel. It is a passage where Paul is comparing the journeys of two different people. They are seeking to achieve goals. It is the journey that is being compared not the people. Israel's goal, the worthy achievement that they seek at the end of their quest is righteousness. They are described in chapter 9 verse 31 as those who strive for righteousness. And for the Gentiles, though they are not described as striving for it, are in possession of righteousness. Both the goal is righteousness. So why separate them? Why has Paul made a definition here? Paul does it because although they have the same name, righteousness, their goals are actually very different. The righteousness that the Gentiles have obtained is a righteousness of faith, the righteousness of God. However, the righteousness that Israel desires is the righteousness not of faith, but of works. Not the righteousness of God, but of themselves. They are different things. They are of different quality. If two people were to compare rings, in this circumstance you would find that one was in possession of a platinum band encrusted with diamonds, the value of which we didn't know. It was too much. The other, in his hand, holds a plastic ring that fell out of a vending machine at the value of $2. It is a plastic toy. 
can you believe what it is that the Gentiles possess? They have in their possession the righteousness of God Himself. It's like going to someone's house and they tell you, I've just gotten a new bird, come and take a look. And they pull off the cover and it's no regular bird. Instead, what you see, keeping with the theme, is a majestic phoenix. (laughs) How in the world did you come into possession of this? How did you get this? This is the pinnacle, surely, of birds. Surely, the righteousness of God is the pinnacle of goals that could be sought after. But then we look at Israel's goal, human righteousness, attained by works. And you wonder, what is going on inside of your mind that this is something worth devoting your life to chasing after? This is no phoenix in a cage. This is no diamond-encrusted ring. Why in the world do you want it? How is this the goal of your life? This rubbish imitation that it would draw you with such force. Paul says in 10 verse 2, that doesn't make, yep, 10 verse 2, that Israel desires for righteousness of works is out of ignorance and a lack of enlightenment. They simply don't know better. They are unaware that the goal that they have is just a plastic ring, that it is a poor imitation, that it is garbage, and they are unaware that there is a goal out there that is so much more worthy, of so much more value. In their eyes, because of their ignorance, the righteousness of man is of incredible value. They are living in a lie and they do not know it. How incredibly sad that is. And I feel bad for their situation here. Because ignorance can be so easily fixed. They simply need to hear of the righteousness of God. How much better the righteousness of God is than that of man and his works. The righteousness of God is far better quality than the righteousness of man. It is of so much more value. And it is a worthy ending to a quest. Imagine what you would be able to withstand knowing that the righteousness of God is at the end of the road. And the question we must ask ourselves this morning is, which of these do I seek? The righteousness of God or that of man? What is my goal? And how do I know? How do I know that I am not the one that is ignorant? That what I pursue is not the cheap imitation, but is the genuine article of God? These are good questions to ask. How do I know what it is that I am seeking? So the answer to that can be found in the shape of the quest that we are taking. And as a part of explaining that, we are going to watch a small video. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) Three movies, nine hours, unless you have the extended versions, of endurance, war, death, to get the one ring to Mount Doom when it could have taken 15 minutes.
to achieve exactly the same thing. Why is it that the fellowship took the harder route? Like Israel, they were ignorant. If only someone had told them, Gandalf, this quest would not have been required. Their goal could have been achieved with ease. What did Israel's quest for righteousness look like? They were described by Paul as those who strived, a people that had a great zeal in their pursuit of their goal. They are not setting a slow pace as they exit their house. They are not turning around at every small obstacle, but they are enduring. Paul's words of the journey describe ascending into heaven or plumbing the depths of the abyss. It can be easily said that Paul here is describing a journey of epic proportions. These are not easy places to travel to. Imagine the pains, the struggles. Frodo climbed some shocking mountains in the movie, but never did he scale his way into heaven. Even in this day and age of science and discovery, how much of the heavens have we actually discovered? How much even of the depths of the sea? If David Attenborough is to believed, even the ocean we do not know that much about. We know only a little of the creatures that inhabit the realms of the ocean. This journey that is being described is impossible. And I don't mean that it's a achievable but sort of difficult. When I say impossible, I mean it is not possible. It cannot be done. Man cannot scale what the mountains into heaven, as Paul is saying. The heights that are required to be scaled and the depths to be plumbed in achieving even the cheap imitation of man's righteousness are beyond him. Who here has seen the TV series The Good Place? A couple that are owning up to it. (laughs) The premise of this series is that through life, every deed, good or bad, has a value. Every helping hand that you hand out is plus 10 points to your life. Every angry word, minus 10. And at the end of your life, your score is tallied as to whether you go to heaven or hell. Your score is your righteousness. This is the same as what what Israel is doing to achieve their goal of righteousness. Every action is counted and measured or quantified. Is this what we do? Is this what you do? Is this the shape of the quest that you are taking? Are you calculating the points that you earn at the end of every action or every day? Were you good or were you bad? Will you ever be good enough? Perhaps this is not how you see yourself, but how instead the people that we know and love see themselves. Always measuring, always trying to climb into heaven and never finding that there is an end or a summit. But what of the Gentiles? What does their quest look like? After all, they 
are actually described as having attained the righteousness. They have gained their goal. They have it in hand. And more than that, it is God's righteousness. What heights must they have scaled in order to get it? What must they have endured in order to achieve such a goal? Chapter 9, verse 30 says, Gentiles who did not strive for righteousness have obtained it. In chapter 10, verse 20, the Gentiles are described as those who did not seek, who did not ask. What? What does that mean? Paul is making it clear that the Gentiles did not even leave the front door in order to obtain righteousness, let alone set out on a quest of torturous proportions. They have not ascended into heaven. They have not gone down into the abyss. They are not described as having zeal or striving, but they are described as having faith. As we saw in the video, there is an easier way to do things. The measure of deeds and personal growth, the quantifying of points is not required. In fact, it is pointless. What they know is that the righteousness of God is something that does not need to be sought in heaven or the abyss, but as Paul says in 10 verse 8, the Word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. Jesus has brought the righteousness of God to us. That incredibly precious and rare goal brought down from heaven, up from the abyss, and brought right here, where it is accessible. Jesus carried it from those impossible places, the impossible places that we would never be able to reach. The quest is not required. The incredible goal of the righteousness of God is within grasp. How is it that the Gentiles know this good news though? They know that there is a simpler way of doing things when Israel does not. Paul says that to attain the goal by not scaling heaven, you must confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. What is required to gain the righteousness of God is that you believe and confess that you would have faith. Simple, so simple. Paul gives here the entire recipe for salvation in 10 verses 14 to 15. How are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in one whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim? And how are they to proclaim unless someone, unless they are sent? The difference between the Gentiles and Israel is illustrated in this recipe, isn't it? It's belief. Belief is the missing ingredient for Israel. Verse 18 makes it clear that the message of Jesus, the good news that because of Him no quest is required, is known by Israel. 
but they don't believe it. 10 verses 8, verse 18 says, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. They have heard it. People are proclaiming the good news to them. The book of Acts is ripe with historical figures preaching the good news to Israel. The message is known and it is certainly sent. Sent at the very instruction of Jesus himself. As Paul says in 10 verse 17... So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the Word of Christ. The hearing of the good news is the work of Jesus. He is the one sending the people. He is the, he is the one making himself known throughout the world. He is the one sending those workers and opening the ears of those who are being spoken to. This is his prerogative. Mums, and dads, sisters and brothers, friends, in case we here begin to measure our ability to proclaim the message of Jesus against the unbelief of those that we are trying to reach, those lost members of our family who do not believe in Jesus or are struggling, you must realise that this is Jesus' work. He is making himself known. He is including you in the process. You are speaking for Him, with Him. But it is Him that brings the hearing. What is heard comes through the Word of Christ. Have faith in Him, lest this too become a quest of righteousness. So, what is the problem then? Why does Israel still not believe, even though... From what Paul is saying, they have heard it. Paul has said that the words of Christ have been known, made known to them. They have heard. Is this not enough? Still, that essential ingredient is missing. Belief in what is being heard. Israel knows that their quest will be fruitless. That their journey will not end in glory and success. And they know that there is an easier way. Jesus has come to them, bearing with him the righteousness of God, if they are but to believe and confess that he is Lord. And here is our problem. In chapter 9, verse 32 to 33, they have stumbled over the stumbling block. As it is written, See, I am laying in Zion a stone that will make people stumble, a rock that will make them fall. This stumbling stone is known by another name, Jesus. It is this very action of grace, His bringing of God's righteousness to us, making it so accessible that causes Israel to turn their face away from such good news and hope. They have struggled on their quest for so long, denied the truth for so long, suffered so long, given up so much, that the message that their quest is not required is not a joy for them, but an offence. 
How is it fair, is their cry. How is it fair that it should be so easy after all this time of suffering? No, no, that must be the lie. I could not have struggled so long for no reason. I will not believe. I will continue with my quest. How sad. Pride is what stopped them from hearing the good news of Jesus. A people that have such a long history with God are now described in 10 verse 21. All day long, wrong one, all day long I've held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. They have heard, but they have chosen not to believe. Do you struggle with this this morning? Do you hear that salvation is so simple and close and a part of you refuse to acknowledge that, refuse to grasp it? Are you proud this morning of the distance that you have covered to become a better person and to earn your own righteousness? Does it niggle at you to hear me say and to hear Paul say that your quest is pointless? and that you are after a cheap imitation? Does it niggle to hear that there are those here this morning that have not tried so hard as you to travel that quest and yet have obtained it? They have obtained the righteousness without the suffering that you have gone through. And they are rejoicing in it and proclaiming the righteousness of God. Please, if that is something that is str- you're struggling with this morning, lay down your pride. Lay down that quest. It is not required. There is a simpler way. You too can share in the righteousness of God here and now today. You just have to believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Submit to his righteousness. Or perhaps this morning your heart is aching, not for yourself, but for your son or your daughter, for family or friends, people that are like Israel, they have been raised knowing and hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. But they cannot surrender their pride to come under His Lordship. They cannot believe, though they have heard. If that is you this morning, I would encourage you, continue to be Jesus' words in their life. Continue to tell them that their quest is not required. But do not look at your own performance as that which will will change them. Hearing is the work of the Word of Christ. And it is Him that brings the hearing. Continue instead to trust and believe in Him. Let's praise God this morning.
for the good news of Jesus Christ. He has brought righteousness, the righteousness of God from afar to our doorstep, that we might so easily participate in it and gain access to the glory of, his, of, of that goal, that the quest is not required. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, the God, that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give thanks to You this morning. We give thanks for the salvation that You have made so readily accessible for us that we might have such a rare goal as the righteousness of God's made so easily accessible to us because of what you did on the cross. And all we need to do is trust the words that you are telling us, to believe in you, to reach out and say, yes, you are Lord, yes, I believe what you are saying, and to lay down the quest for the righteousness that man seeks. But Lord, there are those of us here, I think probably every one of us, Father, that in aspects of our lives continue to measure ourselves. Continue to say, my relationship with you is based on my performance. Father, let us lay that quest down. That is not the path to enjoying the righteousness of God. But instead, placing our faith in you and you alone. And Father, for those here this morning that are aching because of their loved ones, Father, we pray for them. We pray for those people that have come from even within this church that have heard and know the good news of Jesus Christ and choose not to believe it. As we heard in Ken's message last week, you are sovereign and you are delighted in bringing salvation to us. But this week we hear that it is us that refuse you. We are the ones responsible for rejection of salvation. Father, I pray that this would not be the case for these people, Lord, that you would bring them back, give strength to those who are suffering with brothers or sisters or mums and dads, children, friends, Lord, that are rejecting you. Lord, that all they need to do is continue to place their trust in you. You are the one that brings the hearing. Give them the strength to continue to trust in you as they do so through hard times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, Find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.